Hello and welcome to the first episode of Cutting It Close with Cliff Bailey. I am Cliff Bailey and this is my podcast. This is your podcast for this is brought to you by listeners such as yourself. Through the support uh, you give on Patreon. Uh, we have a page up there, patreon.com slash cutting it close. You can donate anywhere from a dollar on up and then I'll be able to make more of these. So far, we've got four in the can with guests. I think those are the more interesting episodes, that's for sure. I, I will be posting one or two solo episodes as well, telling my own story, because that's what this is all about. Story. And that's not to say fictitious stories, but everyone has a story, and we all benefit from telling and hearing them. And so I think I have a story to tell that will help other people, but... More than that, I also want to provide a platform for other people because I know I'm not the only person with a good story. <laughs> I, I recognize other people have very compelling stories as well. And today, May 15th, our inaugural release. Holy crap, this is so exciting. Uh, I've got Jana Park Moore, owner, operator of Hapa Film Studios here on the island of Oahu. She is amazing. She's uh, married, has two kids, and her and her husband make it work, and make it work very well. She's she's very motivated. She's a real go-getter. Uh, we talk a lot about um, the topic of women in filmmaking, uh, indigenous voices. Uh, also get into it a little bit with the spirituality and faith. That's something that's very important to me as well, and I hope uh, you enjoy that part of the discussion. It might get a little... Mm, weird for um, more uh, traditional, conventional folks uh, from that that side of my life, but um, hope that we can all approach this with an open mind, and I feel like we all have a lot to learn from each other uh, through our experiences, and, and that's that's the main thrust of this whole venture, this whole podcast. And uh, as I was saying before, um, your support through Patreon, A, encourages me personally, it's a huge moral boost, it shows me that you truly believe in this. And even if, you know, you can't support it financially, that's fine. Uh, just share it, I, I ask, and uh, leave good reviews for it on whatever platform you find it on. Uh, for the time being, it's just through the website, phaseonmedia.com slash podcasts, or slash cutting it close. I'm not sure. But if you're listening to this, you've already found it. Um, also, be up on YouTube, SoundCloud, and uh, soon iTunes. Hopefully sooner rather than later. So, yeah. Um, Jaina... She's a delight. Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with her as much as I did, and I hope you find some inspiration in it as well. That's one thing I'm really taking away from all of my guests so far is I I'm finding inspirational stories. I'm in, in my daily life, I'm seeing changes because I'm thinking, yeah, they did it like this, so that's the attitude you got to get. That's the attitude I got to have. Yeehaw, here we go. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. So, here we go. Episode one, Jaina Parkmore, cutting it close with Cliff Bailey. And, uh, enjoy. There we go. <laughs> uh, but it is working. Yes. Nice. Yeah. So, hi. Hi. I'm super excited, um, to have you here. Um, Thanks. yeah. And, um, so, uh, shoot. I don't know. So, you're working on a project right now, right? Yes. We are working on a project called River Street. Uh -huh. It is a short film written by local Chinese writer Feng Xia. Mm -hmm. um, and she actually came into Hawaii Filmmakers Collective with the dream of making a film. Mm -hmm. 
and I really liked one of her scripts, so I decided to direct and produce it. Oh, awesome! So it's like uh, um, you, your uh, company is Hoppa Productions. Hoppa yes, Pictures? Hoppa Film Studios. Okay. Um, I just opened that this last year because mm-hmm. um, I had made a lot of other shorts or a couple other shorts with mm-hmm. some friends, and I thought it was time for me officially to be on my own and. You know, it's easier that way, too, as mm-hmm. far as legally to just have your own sole proprietorship and mm-hmm. then you can hire your friends if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dream is to eventually make feature films. For right. now, I'll just make whatever I can. OK, <laughs> awesome. And how did you get into filmmaking to begin with? Um, I s- two different ways. Okay. Um, first of all, I was an I'm an actress. So mm-hmm. I started acting here locally when I was about five years old with okay. Honolulu Theater for Youth. I saw and you were in an episode of at least one episode of Hawaii Five-0. I was. I was as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that was really fun. Yeah. Spent the whole day there. Oh, uh, got awesome. locked in a closet, you know. Nice. Had tape ripped off by Alex O'Loughlin. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Um, and got my side card with that. So that was nice. Oh, right on. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry. Back to uh, you started off with Honolulu Theater. Oh, yeah. So I grew up doing theater. Um, we moved to Molokai, Molokai when I was in second grade. Okay. And there's no community theater there. Mm-hmm. So I just made my own plays. I would rewrite Disney scripts so we could perform them. And my grandma would sew the costumes. Oh, wow. We'd perform them for the other classes. And like mm-hmm. I wrote the sixth grade play for the whole school and all that. Wow. So then we moved back here okay. and I got back into community theater and high school theater and all that. And mm-hmm. I think I did a little bit of extra work. Um, and moved to LA, didn't have time to act, even though I thought I would, but wow. I was supporting myself and going to school. So, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and then I got a degree in sign language interpreting because oh. I thought that I would be like acting and interpreting, but mm-hmm. instead I started managing restaurants. <laughs> okay. So moved back here, was managing restaurants and then just became very depressed and wanted mm. to do something where I needed, felt like I was making a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, not just working for a profit. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school okay. with the goal of becoming a politician or oh. a Supreme Court justice or something like wow, that. Wow, okay. <laughs> Very <laughs> realistic. No. Hey, you know. Um, I like to set my, my goals high. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school. I got another degree in political science with a minor in women's studies. Mm-hmm. And within that, I studied a lot of film, mm-hmm. So especially in women's studies. And mm-hmm. it really opened my eyes to a lot of film that I had never been exposed to. Okay. And it really opened my eyes to how I could be exposed to a different culture and mm-hmm. just, a, you know, and feminism in general mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. film. But mm-hmm. through this indie films that are mm-hmm. not mainstream. And, right. Um, and then I basically got into law school. I took the LSAT. I had my recommendation letters. They were like, yeah, you're going to get in. Okay. And... The head of political science convinced me to go to graduate school. Well, he said, you want to come to graduate school instead, don't you? Maybe law mm-hmm. school later. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it really hard. Mm. And I thought about, at the time, Obama was president. And mm-hmm. I thought about how much I admired him, but how limited he was in personal power as far as his personal voice. Oh, sure. You know, just by public opinion, mm-hmm. by everything, you know, and just as his power even. Like, he could say he wants something, but I could see how, at the time, Republicans were blocking him with a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. I went, wow, he doesn't even have that much power as hmm. president. Right. Believing that his convictions were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I looked at James Cameron, whose film Avatar was the top film in 100 countries mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, now there's a guy <laughs> who gets his voice out and True. has no one 
going, you know, um, censoring it because I heard he's basically a dictator on his sets, which oh, yeah. I don't want to be a dictator per right. se, mm-hmm. but I would like the freedom mm. to get my voice out. Plus, I realized that it really wouldn't suit me to be a politician, at least in the climate 10 years ago, because I'm too liberal progressive and mm. I don't want to keep my mouth shut about it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to have to lie mm-hmm. to the public to get votes. Right. I didn't want to spend half my life campaigning, mm-hmm. um, but I still want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So I thought, OK, I'm going to study politics and women's studies and then I'm going to know which films to make and okay. I can go and hire really good you know DPs and all that yeah um, and so that's what I did mm-hmm. and then in the middle of grad school I got pregnant and was running a business so I thought all right well I don't need a degree to make film <laughs> right yeah uh-huh. I'll just do that later uh-huh. yeah so that's where it kind of and I had already you know um, I think I was really into filmmaking and storytelling and all that from my actress background. Mm-hmm. And I just enjoyed being on set and mm-hmm. the creative collaboration that mm-hmm. goes along with filmmaking, storytelling, theater, all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had this abstract idea that I wanted to be a filmmaker to change the world. Mm-hmm. Then when I got into actual filmmaking just for fun, showdown in Chinatown, 48-hour films and one-week films. Mm-hmm. I realized how much I loved it. Okay. And then when I actually directed my first, you know, quote-unquote real short film with the Baby Luau, yeah. where I uh-huh. raised money on Indiegogo, mm. you know, we raised over $5,000. Wow. Um, and I had a crew of 16 and a cast of 16. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, you know, really a film now, not just for showdown, not for fun. Right, um, right. Uh, to really put my voice out there. And it, had, it was a story that I was working on for two years. Wow. So when I did that, I realized that it was what my soul was meant to be doing in mm-hmm. a way that acting wasn't. Mm-hmm. I always really loved acting mm-hmm. a lot. It was fun. I still think acting is super fun. Mm-hmm. But I've, I'm a very um, intellectual left brain person. And so it's I don't get lost in characters like I can see some of my fellow actors do who are naturals at it and mm-hmm. they get lost in it and mm-hmm. the tears will just come and they don't <laughs> even know where it's from. Whereas I'm always thinking. So I can think and imitate things. Right, 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 right. But I'm not necessarily lost in it. Mm. Whereas that left brain lends really well to being a director. <laughs> yeah. Cuz you have to be aware of everything all the time. You right. can't get lost in any one thing. Mm-hmm. And and a producer I think too. Oh yeah. So that's so I feel like, yeah, I, I found my way. I didn't think that I would make films for another 10, 20 years till my kids grew up. Oh, yeah. Um, but the showdown ones since <laughs> we won. <laughs> yeah. And then my film, um, the championship film, Arthur, that we made with my grandfather uh, oh. won first place. And I and Serena, the um, the person who runs showdown in Chinatown, she said, oh, you're the first female in 10 years director producer right on. to win. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh. Oh no! I need to make more films because <laughs> <laughs> there's not enough women out there. Mm-hmm. So that kind of lit the fire to go. Okay, I just got to make films now, and I mm-hmm. don't care. I'm not trying to necessarily make a living right mm. at this point. Sure, that would be fine. Yeah, but I'm really more gaining experience now, so that mm-hmm. when my kids are older, I can make the feature films. You know, with mm-hmm. women and Asians and mm-hmm. people with disabilities and all that good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so um, recently I saw you spoke at uh, Hawaii Women Filmmakers? Yes, Hawaii Women in Filmmaking. Yeah. Yes. So um, what, how was that? What was? What did you talk about? It was great. I talked about um, basically what I'm talking about with you right now, uh-huh. my history, what's going on, uh-huh. um, kind of encouraging the audience to do what they want now, mm-hmm. like I'm doing. Like I had this idea that 
I would have to wait till my kids grew up to yeah, make films because right. it seemed like this all-consuming thing. Mm -hmm. And then when I broke it down, I was like, wait, well, I can make short films now or mm. maybe even a feature. I just have to take my time. And, yeah. Um, everything's possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I also encourage people to write what they know. Mm. I think that's really important. It's very little women. and Okay. <laughs> um, but I think it's true and that mm. I found that the audience connect most with my stories when they're real. Okay. And when... Um, like with my grandfather, um, he passed away last or a year and a half ago, mm -hmm. but he was 91 when mm -hmm. he starred in the film Arthur, which my co-writer wrote because she was inspired by him and the way he lives his life mm -hmm. as a 91 year old, still climbing ladders and fixing things and mm -hmm. going out and teaching seniors computers. So she was inspired by that. She wrote this short film about a grandpa mm -hmm. kind of breaking free and you know, um, not following the rules and getting outside and having a day of adventure and mm -hmm. being inspired. Yeah. Um, and people really like it. <laughs> <laughs> they're and they're impressed and they're all nervous when he climbs on the ladder. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Are your, are your films like available online or anything? Um, Arthur is. So the showdown in Chinatown films are, okay. They all are. Okay. Um, and that is, I made them with my friend Sarah. So we have a website, Jara Productions, J-A-R-A-H. Okay. Productions.com. Mm -hmm. And that's for all the showdown in Chinatown films. Okay. Um, what about Baby Luau? I, I see that's still on the The Baby Luau festival is still circuit. on the festival circuit. That's so cool. it's not released. Although our okay. Indiegogo donors got a uh, download of it. So okay. they all got to see it. Because, nice. you know, they get perks. Sure. Um, so eventually I'll probably release it, but mm -hmm. for now, because it's still being shown in festivals, mm -hmm. um, just last week I found out that we're having our first international screening ah. in Cambodia. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's an LGBT, uh, film festival. Okay. And I'm assuming they chose our film because our LGBT theme is kind of subtle. Okay. <laughs> Not too blatant, but sure. I'm really happy to share mm. with other countries, especially ones that are kind of fighting for, mm -hmm you know, yeah. a voice and mm -hmm. Cambodia presence. still, are they still communist? I don't know. Okay. But I, I mean, I Googled it a little and yeah. it seems like, I think it is. It seems like there's definitely not a huge like mm. place right. for alternative lifestyles. Sure, so sure, sure. that's, um, they're really fighting the fight over there mm -hmm. in a way I think that we can't imagine over here Yeah, that it's so scary to just speak out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm proud though to be a part of that and yeah, to bring some of Hawaii culture yeah. across the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we showed in Guam before that, so mm -hmm. that was fun. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, um, there is you know currently uh, for the like uh, the last year, couple years, few years, um, the whole situation with women in filmmaking, um, actresses, directors, and whatnot, and women being represented, um, salaries and whatnot has really come to the the public fore. Um, and combining that with, um, you know, indigenous voices like from Hawaii and such, you know, minorities, uh, um, how do you think, uh, how, how do you see the state of that at this point? I really think this is the best time hmm. for indigenous filmmakers, women filmmakers, mm -hmm. um, people of color. Mm -hmm. I think it's the best time yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I, and I do feel like I'm in a very you know, this is the time for me to be making films. If you look back all through the last hundred years, like mm. this is the best possible time. Mm -hmm. There's actually grants out there specifically for mm. indigenous filmmakers, mm -hmm. for women, for young women, for old women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's really specific things out there now targeting mm. and trying to, I think, fill that void. Mm -hmm. But 
until Hollywood mm. and the major studios get on board with truly embracing diversity, mm -hmm. I think that it's going to continue to be extremely difficult mm -hmm. for the minority voices to break through mm -hmm. and to be seen on a mass scale sure. and to be celebrated on a mass scale mm -hmm. um, and to really make the difference mm -hmm. that I think is the goal of most of us mm -hmm. who are trying to make films, which mm -hmm. is to share our stories and, and bring awareness and education and enlighten people and open their minds and, mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's tricky. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, we are at the right time and there could be a tipping point here. Right. Um, it's going in the right direction mm -hmm. for sure. But if you look at the Oscars, which, mm. um, I know is a very political thing and there's, it's a lot about who has the money because just like this, um, I happened to be part of the SAG nominations committee this mm, year. And wow. so I got all the DVDs ahead of time and I got a, just a massive amount of marketing materials mm -hmm. from these studios. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of the films that I wanted to see, mm -hmm. I didn't even get a DVD because they oh. couldn't afford to send me one. Oh. So the, it's, mm. the scales are completely tipped. It's mm -hmm. not like the Oscars is where everyone's actually watching all the films and voting on them. Right. Having said that, it's a decent gauge for what, you know, like America mm -hmm. <laughs> is taking in mm -hmm. and what they're watching and what they're celebrating and all that. Right. Because Hollywood, they're all about, you know, putting out the movies and stories. But they also on one hand, they need to make money to be able to continue to do so. On the other hand, some people just want to be rich. Exactly. Uh, um, and so I feel like there's a point where and ho I think Hollywood kind of has a responsibility in this, too, because they help perpetuate what people like absolutely by you know tailoring movies to people's tastes um and why couldn't they do that with more diverse stories and whatnot um but i think i feel like until the mass audience responds to that with their wallets then hollywood's going to continue to do what they do right so i mean it's it but it's kind of a i think it comes down to an ethical or mm. moral decision sure. on the part yeah. of the executives <laughs> no we're talking about hollywood right exactly so <laughs> ethical what exactly um but i think that's what it would have to be because right. you aren't necessarily going to get especially middle america funneling their money into media that is extremely diverse because mm -hmm. they're perfectly fine mm you know, taking in the normal mainstream, um, you know, white American male as the lead. Mm. And I think that's what they're very much used to. Mm -hmm. They don't, it doesn't phase them at all. Right. Um, if you bring it up, it's almost offensive. Mm -hmm. Like, so what? That's what I look like. Why not? You know, yeah. without seeing the, oh yes, but it's mm -hmm. everyone, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. every role, every movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a fight, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm happy to be in it. Yeah. And I see it as just as important as being a politician or a Supreme Court justice mm -hmm. or somebody like that where you think of as a you know world changer. I think being in art, making art, making movies, making TV mm. is vital mm -hmm. <laughs> to sh shaping the future. Right. And what we see and what I mean, we're just a society that's just in love with our screens mm, yeah <laughs> and just addicted mm -hmm. so addicted mm -hmm. and that's not going to go away right 
So whatever we're putting in, whatever we're feeding our souls and our minds mm -hmm. is going to shape the decisions of the future. Right. It's going to shape how we raise our children. Right. Mm -hmm. It's going to shape how we treat people. It's going to shape whether we want to go to war or not. Mm -hmm. All those important decisions. Right. So to me, we're, you know, mm -hmm. we're the soldiers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> <a> good fight. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, when you took these classes and uh, you learned about the, the voices and, and feminism and whatnot, uh, some people would just learn that and think, oh, gosh, what a what a problem. And then go on their merry way. What do you think inspired you to uh, take up this more activist role? Um, I, I was raised by very involved parents. Mm. Um, and you uh, you were born here in Hawaii. Yes. Cool. Here in Honolulu. Yeah. And um, my mother is a counselor, was a teacher mm -hmm. for the state. Mm. But she's highly, highly involved in the Hawaii State Teachers Association. Oh, cool. So we actually, and my father is an um, air traffic controller. Mm. So we moved to Molokai when I was seven. Mm -hmm. uh, she was the president of the Molokai chapter of HSTA. Okay. Um, we sign waved a lot as I was growing up. Yeah. Um, and went to rallies mm. and participated in beach cleanups and mm. all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with that spirit of community pitching in, um, and I also have very liberal, progressive parents okay. <laughs> who are highly educated and who like to talk about that kind of thing. So, okay. yeah, I think it's in me. Mm -hmm. Did you go to the uh, any of the marches last few um, months? I just went yesterday to oh. the, um, the Workers' March because oh. I'm in SAG Union. Okay, so. I saw your sign on yeah. Facebook. <laughs> um, I didn't realize there was another um, march. Well, so Labor Day around the world is mm. May 1st, oh. and America is really the only one that ignores it. Okay. But internationally, mm -hmm. laborers are celebrated, and usually it's a day off. Yeah. So some people actually sh were striking yesterday. Oh. Um, two of my friends went to breakfast, and it was <laughs> all management because the entire workers uh -huh. <laughs> weren't there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, we went to March and support workers, equal rights. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, right now you look at the CEOs of Bank of Hawaii and mm -hmm. all that, and they're making millions, mm -hmm. and their tellers are making $11 an hour. Yeah. And a living wage in Hawaii is almost $30 an hour. Right. So it just doesn't match up, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, did you go to the, the Women's March or I didn't. Science March? I was okay. filming. Oh, right on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was the day, or that might have been my daughter's birthday, but there was something ah, big going on. Sure, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Sure. Seventh birthday, so yeah. you can't miss that. Mm -hmm. Water park. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, what was it like growing up in Hawaii? Um, you know, it was a big difference growing up in Honolulu versus mm, Molokai. Sure. Huge difference. Mm -hmm. I spent second through seventh grade on Molokai mm -hmm. up in the mountains on Kalai oh, wow. in a neighborhood with about 12 houses mm. surrounded by forest oh. and cows and deer. <laughs> um, I didn't know there were deer in Hawaii. Yeah. Okay. There's um, on several islands. Really? Yep. Huh. And you go to Molokai, you'll see them. Okay. <laughs> Especially on the West End. You'll sure. see hundreds. Okay. And they're gorgeous with their big yeah. antlers and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so is, there's nothing on Molokai. It was mm. like 6,000 people. There's not even a McDonald's, which was devastating uh. to me as an eight-year-old. <laughs> um, but then I got used to it and loved it because it was riding horseback mm -hmm. on the weekends mm. in the valleys with nobody there. Mm -hmm. And the beach, you go to the beach and if there's one family, you're like, this is a busy day at the beach. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and then Honolulu was uh, a little rougher, but I think there's a lot more opportunity here. Like I said, I got to do mm. a lot more theater. Right. I had access to more services and classes mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it's a mix, mm -hmm. but I love Hawaii. Um, it's really difficult to make a living here mm -hmm. if you don't make an uh, you know over two hundred thousand dollars a year <laughs> right so that's tricky we're really lucky that we live in my family home for now oh okay. um 
But yeah, I mean, I can't imagine raising my kids really mm. anywhere. Maybe, maybe in the mountains of Oregon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But certainly not LA. I lived there for five years and my husband's from there. And uh, okay. We agreed. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> too much going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are, are you, so you live in a family home. Yeah. Um, are you like how, I know there are, there are like a ton of photographers, a ton of videographers uh, and all sorts of people in this industry on the island. Um, how, like, I don't mean like, um, how's it going yeah, yeah. <laughs> for Hoppa Pictures? Well, or studios, so, or, um, yeah. like when I launched Hoppa Film Studios, like I Hoppa said, Film my studios, dream right. is to make features. Sure. I already yeah. have four features mm. that I need to make Okay, <laughs> about my family or one is like an extension of the baby luau, which is basically ah, about my family. Awesome. But then I have a Korean trilogy with based on my aunt's book of my grandpa coming, I mean, my great grandpa coming to America in the twenties and Mm. there's this whole nice trilogy I have. (laughs) Um, so that's the goal. Okay. And if I just do that, yeah, that would be fine. Okay. Papa film studios because that's really the goal. Mm -hmm. Um, in the meantime, I've shot weddings. Okay. A couple I've shot, um, right now I'm doing a real estate video for a Mm. friend of mine who's launching her own company. Um, and she's already really successful. So Mm -hmm. I'm lucky to be (laughs) shooting her video because it looks, makes me look Mm -hmm. (laughs) because she has great properties and, Mm. um, you know, but she's going out on her own. Mm -hmm. So we're making her a little introductory video and I've gotten, you know, the interviews from her Mm. coworkers and her clients and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is for a friend. So, you know, it's not business. It's, Mm. I want to build my reel. Okay. Yeah. I want to help her. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so far I've taken some paying jobs, but it's okay. pretty much been word of mouth through mm. friends. Mm-hmm. I haven't gone out of my way to advertise. Mm. I'm not pushing to make a lot of money with this production company right now because I have small children. Right. And I know that if I were to start making a lot of money doing commercials, mm-hmm. even working other people's films, that's 16 hour days, mm-hmm. which is not what I want right. at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. So it's more just to establish myself, gain experience, um, network, get a good crew going, make some short films, which like with River Street, that'll mm-hmm. be under the umbrella of Hoppa Film Studios. Okay. Um, you know, get some clout, mm-hmm. hopefully win some awards. Yeah. <laughs> All that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do see that it's super competitive and mm-hmm. I already ran a small business. My husband and I had a, a doggy daycare and boarding. Oh. And we used to do dog walking huh. for about seven and a half years and I still do training. Mm-hmm. But I know what it takes to run a full time small business mm-hmm. from your home if you're depending on that income mm. and constantly having to get new clients, constantly having to get new jobs, mm. um, just having to go, 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 go. You're always on. Um, it's really not that different from what I do now. I do like six different things, <laughs> <laughs> but having just, if I was to just focus on the production company, I know that would be such a time suck for me. Mm-hmm. So it's not a push. Um, okay. and it is so competitive. There mm. are so many people doing it. Um, there's a few p- people doing it really well. Mm-hmm. I work for a wedding planner, so I see them ah. and I know who is the top people out there. Sure. And there's just a handful really who's mm. who are doing it really, really, really well right. where the brides consistently mm-hmm. just love it. And they're, you know, <laughs> and then there's everybody else who wants mm. to do it. Some of them are okay. Some mm. of them, some of them just got a camera. Right. And they're like, I'm going to shoot my friend's wedding and mm-hmm. I'm a videographer. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I'm just kind of going along mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. I mean, I have a first and second grader in private school oh, and okay. I have an 89 year old grandma that I take care of full time. Oh, wow. And six different sources of income, mm. which I think is a very common story in Hawaii. Mm. 
mm-hmm. if you're middle class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is you I, do a lot of different things for yeah. income. To Lucky pay, to have yeah. that many sources of income. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to do whatever it takes, right? Oh. Mm-hmm. What does your husband do? Do you mind me asking? He, yeah, no, he um, works for Poncho Solar, and he's so hmm. he's a rep, so he sells solar AC, solar oh, systems, nice. hot water heaters, mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And yes. uh, how did you two meet? We met because I hired him ah, <laughs> Nice. when I was a restaurant general manager. Okay. I was hired on a Wednesday mm-hmm. and the next day after I was hired, they said, so 80% of the staff has their two weeks notice in FYI because it's the end of the semester and oh, they're all college students. Okay. That's normal, right? And I was like, well, I guess that's normal if they don't like you. <laughs> so, cause yeah. I had been a manager at that point for several years and okay. I thought that's not normal. Hmm. But um, by Friday, I was interviewing people. Okay. <laughs> and so I started Wednesday, Thursday making calls, Friday interviewing people. Mm-hmm. And my husband was one of my interviews. Ooh. And I remember seeing his job application because, mm-hmm. you know, people had turned a lot in. Mm-hmm. And it said Jay Moore. And I thought, I wonder if he's related to Joe Moore, the mm. newscaster. <laughs> Just, you know, and he had mm-hmm. Starbucks experience. I thought, great, I need a barista. Uh-huh. So I called him in and his first shift was that Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I was determined to not date any employees, of course, because I was a young manager. And Mm -hmm. I had always kept that boundary very Mm -hmm. for for many years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But we had an emergency catering order where I was abandoned by the manager who was supposed to be training me. Mm -hmm. And I got a call saying, is our order coming? We have I have 20 hungry kids here across the street at UH at Youth for Christ. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about because yeah. I looked at where the catering was and uh-huh. somebody had put it in Monday instead of Sunday. So I didn't know. Yeah. And I said, I do you know what you ordered, sir. And he said, no. And I said, well, <laughs> I'm new, but I can get you some pizzas and salads and sodas in like 20 minutes. And he was like, great. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no. So uh-huh. I knew that guy Jay was training. Mm-hmm. He was extra. That's all I knew. OK. And I was like, you <laughs> get some sodas and then you make pizza and you make salad. And mm-hmm. we ran it over across the street wow. and started talking, of uh-huh. course. Uh-huh. And then we had to go pick up the equipment after and mm-hmm. talking and sat and had lunch together. And mm. Kill Bill came up. Oh. And that was had just been released. Okay. Kill Bill 2 had just oh, okay. been released. Sure, sure. And I said, oh, you know, I really want to see Kill Bill 2, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen Kill Bill 1 yet. Oh. And he said, you cannot see Kill Bill 2 mm-hmm. until you see Kill Bill 1. True I story. have it at my house. Oh. You can come over and see it. Okay. And I was like, all right. Nice. <laughs> and that was it. Okay. That's that's awesome. <laughs> that was literally it. Okay. I mean, we had our ups and downs. And, we, you know, we he was 19. Okay. And I was 23. Oh. So we definitely had our breakup and bring them together. Mm. together and get, mm-hmm. But then, you know, two babies in two years and got married. And, oh, yeah. wow. So now it's been 13 years since that's we met. Right on. That's and super the cool. kids are doing well. And yeah. We're doing well. Yeah. All right. That's cool. He's very supportive of my filmmaking. Mm. So that's incredibly helpful. Totally. Yeah. Because um, I've been in relationships over the years and would, you know, tell them, you know, I have dreams of being a filmmaker. And they're like, some of them were like, oh, that's cool. Some were like, oh, don't you think you should do something more responsible? Mm-hmm. And then meeting Jen, um, like on our first date, first date, second date? I don't know. One of the, Anyway, the first time we had like a chance to like really talk and right. stuff, I was telling her what I'm up to. Oh, and leading up to it, we met through Match.com. Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> um, through emails, I was telling her my aspirations and stuff. I was in the Navy at the time. And how long ago did you meet? Uh, three years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, three years ago, this around April, May. Yeah. So you said, I want to be a filmmaker. Yeah, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to write books. I want to do all this stuff. And she was like, cool. You know, she didn't discount it um, out of the gate. Great. And then as we um, started dating uh, and stuff, she just showed that she was 
she wasn't like, you know, rah, rah, go get them. But uh, she was <laughs> like, hey, you want to do that? That's cool. That's awesome. And I'll support you and stuff. And um, that's just been amazing. I've like, you know, let alone a significant other, like no one really in my life for the longest time has just been all about pursuing what you do as long as you really pursue it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's fabulous. Yeah, it's great. And now how old is your little one? Uh, he just turned a year ago. Uh, a year ago? He just turned a year <laughs> a week ago. I'm surprised <laughs> that your vertical like, sleep deprivation is not... <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I remember. <laughs> it's, it's been amazing. And he just took his first steps on I Sunday. I saw that. Yeah. That's so cute. He's great. Doesn't it fill your heart in ways that mm. you just seeing them, you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are times where you just are like, oh. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah, but then, <laughs> like um, last night, uh, he he woke up about two o'clock or so, and just came in and grabbed him and held him. I feel right back to sleep, and we have a bed in there, lay him on the bed so he could kind of rest and get reacclimated to sleeping. Then put him back in his crib and just looking at him, just his eyes closed so tight and I know. just oh my god. I know. <laughs> and it's thinking, hard to explain mm-hmm. how parenting is like the best of times and the worst of times. Right. right? Yeah. It really is. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's what it is. Like you can if you're not a parent, you get a lot more sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and like I've always wanted to be a dad. Uh ever since I can remember. I, I don't know what inspired that, but I just always have. And now that I am, there are parts I well, there's stuff, you know, going into any kind of big thing. There are things you just cannot account for because you don't know what you don't oh, know. Oh, of course. But uh, it's just the, the the rewarding aspects of it definitely outweigh the pain in the butt moments. Well, yeah. And, you know, you can't go back. So, oh, yeah, for real. <laughs> Receipt expired 30 minutes after. No, I mean, kidding. I think that if you if we all knew mm, right. how much work it was really mm-hmm. and how scary it is, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. I think, the hardest part. Yeah. I mean, I. You know, the physical and mental sleep deprivation and all that stuff, that's hard. Mm-hmm. But you go to boot camp and that's not that different. <laughs> right. I think the hardest part of being a parent is this the fear yeah. <laughs> that is born with the love that you mm-hmm. feel and mm-hmm. having to live with this fear of like, if something happened to this creature, that's my everything. Yeah. But I still have to like let them out of the house. Right, right. <laughs> I have to say bye and let them go to school. Yeah. And not just sit at home and worry and go mm-hmm. about my life. Yeah. It's much harder than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel that fear also. I also feel a fear of like, oh my God, what if I screw this up? What if I screw this kid up, you know? And um, you'll feel to- that less though when they get older. Yeah. When you start to be able to talk to them. Oh, sure. And they say things to you. Like, mm. if I'm crying, my mm. kids will just come and comfort me Aww. without hesitation mm-hmm. and so well yeah <laughs> just so they they have such great emotional intelligence That's awesome and when i see that i think oh you're gonna be totally fine no yeah. matter what <laughs> <laughs> nice so yeah you'll start to see that and mm. then you'll realize mm, mm. you know they're yeah. gonna be fine yeah Even when they're screaming and yeah. saying i i wish my brother was dead and oh my god like oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, you'll see if you have more than one. Oh boy. Yeah, we're thinking of there are days where we're like, yeah, awesome. Other days, like, no. You got to just get it over with. Yeah. If you're ever thinking it, just get it over with. Because mm. we, two in two years, mm. bam, I'm really glad. Yeah. If, and if, my grandma had three in three years. Oh, wow. But she's really glad. <laughs> yeah. Because if you spread it out too much, mm. then you always have a baby around. And, sure. And they don't get to bond. Exactly. There's nothing like the yeah. two of them having a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, have, have you always wanted to have kids? Um, I always knew that I would have kids. Oh. 
How's I that don't, work? Yeah, I don't know. I come <laughs> from a family. My mom is very much a Dr. Doolittle, but with animals and babies. Okay. So even though I was basically an only child because my brother was born 12 years later, mm-hmm. there was always mm. kittens and puppies and babies around. Mm. And my mom's also a sign language interpreter mm. um, and likes to take care of kids with disabilities mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Cool. So I was just surrounded by... Um, just things that needed my care yeah <laughs> and I was kind of groomed for okay. that okay. and I just kind of assumed I would always be a mother mm-hmm. um we didn't plan it but it was when it when I got pregnant we were like yeah cool hmm. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like and and my husband Jay actually didn't know that he wanted to be a dad ah. until he until I got pregnant yeah. and then all of a sudden he did like kind of a 180 and mm. went I am going to be there for my child nice. no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I mean, his parents are great parents, but they got divorced when he was 12. So mm-hmm. that wasn't easy. Sure. So that I think really affected him. And he went, man, I'm here mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. And he is the most hands-on father mm-hmm. that anyone that I know and mm-hmm. that anyone I know knows mm-hmm. short of maybe our neighbor who is a stay-at-home dad because his wife has her own OBGYN clinic. Oh, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> we have the two stay-at-home dads on the block. Okay. And it's amazing. Mm. I mean, he taught them both to ride a bike by three, mm-hmm. their training wheels. They could swim across the Olympic-sized pool by the time they were five. Wow. I taught them sign language. Well, he knows sign language, too, so they both were bilingual as babies. <laughs> um, and they're just thriving. Huh. And they, they spend 75% of their time with dad. Oh. Yeah. So it's great. That's awesome. <laughs> and mommy's often working. Yeah. Making money or making films. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was gonna ask. Um, like as a as um, feminist um, filmmaker activist, like how do you balance all that with motherhood? Yes. Yeah, so, um, like I just said. Yeah. I couldn't do it without without support. Jay and mm-hmm. being such a hands-on dad and sure. him wanting to be. Yeah. It was not a role that was forced upon him at mm-hmm. all. It's a role that he's chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a nice thing about his solar work. It's mm. flexible, mm-hmm. especially now that they're in school. Mm. You know, we have a good six hours a day, which mm-hmm. is a lot when you're used to having two <laughs> toddlers at home. Then yeah. all of a sudden you have six hours a day. Mm-hmm. So he does that. It's very, you know, pretty flexible. And we both set our own schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, it takes a lot of work. Mm. It takes, I think, a lot of, you have to be very conscious about it. Like I definitely get into modes or times in my life periods when I get too busy Mm -hmm. and I'm just overly scheduled and I didn't mean to Mm -hmm. but it just happened where Mm -hmm. everything kind of collided and I have three projects and Mm -hmm. this and that and work and I don't see my family for literally a week and a half Mm. or I will not even see my kids for like two days straight oh my goodness whereas I'm here but you know I'm I'm working on that yeah um so I've that's happened and now that my husband and I have seen that pattern mm-hmm. we we kind of see it coming now and just like okay no gotta just stop stop everything and no more commitments and mm-hmm. and then it's really myself looking at the entire year mm. like this year 2017 mm-hmm. and I went what are the projects I'm going to commit to and that's it okay and having to say no right because it's so fun to say yes. Mm, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's so fun to say yes. Mm-hmm. It's so fun to think of all the fun things you can do, especially when you have a lot of creative actor, filmmaker friends who always have wonderful ideas mm-hmm. and who want you to play along. And, and I want to, mm-hmm. but it's like, mm, I have a dog and two kids and a grandma and three cats and a pig mm. <laughs> <laughs> and a husband and a marriage and friends who are yeah. getting married and I have to throw an engagement party. And mm. you know, so it's so much that mm-hmm. artistically 
so that I make sure that I get it. I mm-hmm. have to, I say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do River Street this year, for example. Okay. But I set the boundary that mm. that's it. Sure. That is the only film I'm going to shoot this year, mm. period. Because mm-hmm. I learned that with the Baby Luau, too. Mm. I shot it in August 2015. It wasn't ready till 2016. Mm. I didn't even finish sending my Indiegogo stuff till 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. So it's a long process. Okay. Um, so you can just have one project and, you know, be active with it and mm-hmm. be working on it for a good year and a half. Sure. Huh. Yeah. That's something I've struggled with um, as I've tried to get into this this mode, especially coming out of out of the Navy, um, just separating uh, this past October. And then finally having the inner motivation and belief that I can do this. I was going to ask, um, at what point if any, did you start taking yourself seriously as a filmmaker or? Oh, I don't know if I do. Always. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But I think that's part of being an artist. Yeah. Like Maya Angelou said that every time she published a book, mm-hmm. she thought, this is it. Uh-huh. This is when they're going to discover that I'm a fraud. Huh. Yeah. And questioned herself to the core mm-hmm. every time. Mm. So, I mean, I have a very difficult time taking myself seriously. I, I'm, shocked when a little bit Mm -hmm. i mean a little bit Mm -hmm. i mean i trust my friends and they're very dependable but there's Mm -hmm. a little part of me that's shocked that they all show up Mm -hmm. and bring tens of thousands of dollars in equipment Mm. and commit 12 hours of their time volunteer and they're so talented Mm -hmm. and they're really committed to making this project amazing and Mm -hmm. i'm I'm at the helm Mm. and so that still is like really yeah but According to them, what at least what they tell me, mm-hmm. I'm good at it. <laughs> and it, we did finish the film. Yeah, so right, right. That's an accomplishment. That's a miracle. And we've got into festivals. So yeah. that's that helps. All that stuff mm. helps. Mm-hmm. Shut up that voice that mm. says, what makes you think mm-hmm. that you are going to tell a better story mm-hmm. than the million other people with access to the technology mm-hmm. that you have now or the 10 million other people with cameras mm-hmm. that look great? Mm-hmm. What do you, why, why do you think you're going to stand out with Mm. YouTube and everyone making content? You got to shut that voice up (laughs) and go, well, hey, I made a film that just got into eight festivals on Mm. my first go and I never even went to film school. So like, (laughs) you know, like tell myself that Yeah. and not to brag, but to encourage myself Right. because everyone else, I mean, and I have parents who Mm. are very Asian Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and as much as they would like to say, we're very supportive of you and they try their best. Sure. Um, I have distinct memories of conversations where I said, I'm going to be a movie star. Mm -hmm. And they said, that's so great. Uh But you know, (laughs) a lot of people want to be movie stars. So maybe you should have a backup, just a backup, like Mm -hmm. doctor or lawyer, Mm -hmm. you know, just as a backup. Right. And that totally kills you as a kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kills you because society is already going to tell you, you can't do it. Right. And everyone and life and auditions Mm -hmm. and just... (laughs) All of that is already mm. going to tell you you can't do it. Right. So if you have parents who are even questioning this much, right. that is so difficult to overcome. Mm-hmm. But then once you overcome that, mm-hmm. then <laughs> it's kind of like you can overcome anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. if your own parents are like, I don't know if I believe in you and you can believe in yourself past that. Yes. Then a stranger saying you can't do it. Psh, mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, please, <laughs> I don't need to prove anything to you. I got a lot of other people that I'm already proving stuff to. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so maybe not so much as taking yourself seriously. Right. Just, just. That what know. made me go for it? Just doing it. Just making, yeah. just being sure of yourself. You know, I have always been very confident in myself. Right on. 
to the point where actually that's why my mom didn't let me do film and television. One of her friends who's a psychologist said, Jaina has a bit of an ego. Ah. So if you let her do film and television and she actually becomes a star, she's going to be insufferable. <laughs> Keep her in theater oh where she goodness. can still develop her talent, but mm -hmm. is not going to get fame and money. Hmm. And I completely agree with that. Huh. <laughs> At 16, I wanted to become an emancipated minor and I didn't have fame or money. So oh, imagine wow. if I had, uh -huh. I would have been. Yeah. So, so I would have been very Lindsay Lohan-ish. So I'm really <laughs> glad that I did not have fame or money at a young mm -hmm. age mm -hmm. because the stories that I'm going to tell now are very different. And the life I'm going to lead now is very different than if I had been like a child star. Right on, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I've always been that confident. Mm -hmm. like, um, like, I, like in second grade, like mm -hmm. I said, I never thought, oh, can I do this? I thought mm -hmm. how I want to do plays. Mm -hmm. I caught the bug mm -hmm. and I love The Little Mermaid. So mm -hmm. how am I going to do that mm -hmm. here in second grade? <laughs> <laughs> Grandma sew the costumes and I have a casting and we perform it for the kindergartners and I have the picture of me being Ariel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and all my friends loved it and they still remember, which is great because yeah. it's Molokai. Yeah. That was their only opportunity to be in a play. <laughs> so now I've reconnected with a lot of them on Facebook and they go, we remember being in those plays and it was so fun. That's great. So oh that's gosh. what I love. I love when I get my group of friends together that are so talented and creative and they get to do what they love because mm -hmm. I'm usually the one that's kind of stressed, <laughs> but it's like, good, do your thing. Yeah. Your lighting is beautiful. Your mm -hmm. acting is great. You know, it's like giving other people an opportunity to be amazing. That's what it is. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, okay. So you mentioned, uh, that if, uh, at first your parents, you know, if they didn't really encourage you so much right, and that's right. huge, but here you are now. And do you yeah, think... Yeah, so I was... I mean, I pretty much was like, screw you guys <laughs> when yeah. they said that. Yeah. I was... I mean, I remember it. Mm -hmm. and, and it definitely affected me. Mm -hmm. But it affected me to the point where I think I didn't even try in LA. Oh. Like, okay. and I said I was too busy, but mm -hmm. I never even really tried. And I think I was afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. Even though externally, I was still saying, oh, I'm going to be a movie star. That's why I'm here in LA. Mm -hmm. When I'm done with school, I'm going to act. I'm going to audition. I mm -hmm. think inside I was still really, really afraid mm -hmm. of failing. Right. And I don't do failure. Sure. <laughs> I'm very like straight A and okay. get it and be the best employee and you mm -hmm. know. So um I didn't think that I was gonna do it, I think, for a while. I think I sort of I mean I said it, but I wasn't really doing it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I told everyone, Oh yeah, mm -hmm. I wanna be a movie star, I wanna be a movie star. Even when I moved back here, so I'm just gonna move back here, mm. pay off debt. Mm -hmm. When my husband and I met, I said, I'm gonna move back to LA and be a movie star. Mm -hmm. That was still what I was saying out loud. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, I think it's kinda of funny oh, yeah. you said coming back to Hawaii to pay off debt. Yeah. Oh I know, right? <laughs> well, because I have family I can live sure, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I know. Yeah, <laughs> everyone else would be like <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I really did think that, mm. but then, you know, life happens and mm -hmm. I'm in a relationship yeah. and love and working. And that was a really great challenge for me, mm -hmm. which I think I needed to learn the skills of management yeah. and managing people. Right. Cause I had to manage, I worked at Volcano Joe's, which was, huh. um, coffee shop, catering, pizza. That's on Big Island. And no, no, it's here. Oh, there's, oh, there's I think there's a different one over there. Okay. Yeah. But it was here. It's mm. right where, um, it's like a yogurt land or something. It's the pink Atherton building right across from UH. On University Avenue. Oh, so it's not there pink, anymore. Pink building. Volcano Joe's isn't, but it's okay. like a yogurt land yeah, or uh, a, banana. a banana. Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so that's the building, though. It oh. used to the whole thing, the upstairs too, wow. where there's like yoga. Uh -huh. So that was a restaurant. And there's, yeah. So I had a 50 person staff. Wow. And the, <laughs> the restaurant was being run. Mm -hmm. 
um, by a lawyer hmm. who had, a, you know, he has great ideas, but he didn't have that much experience. Mm-hmm. And by a pastry chef who's amazing, but she also didn't have a lot of front of the house management experience. Ah. So that's what I brought. It was really fun. It was a challenge. I set everything up. Mm-hmm. I got the employees all happy. Mm-hmm. And that's when I felt like, what is the point of all this? <laughs> once I got there, sure. once it was going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also when I realized I need to be in project based work. Mm. Nothing monotonous. Right. I cannot stand it. Mm-hmm. I need projects. I need to dive in head first, move on, start fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really thrive in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. So that came to me, you know, went back to school and all that. Um, and yeah, see, I just have an odd sense of confidence. Like I literally went back to school going, okay, well maybe I want to be a Senator yeah. or Supreme court justice. Uh-huh. Like that was the goal. It yeah. wasn't like lawyer. Uh-huh. Or like local representative. Oh, sure. It was, you know, the big time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I just transferred that goal over to filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it became what I wanted to do because I wanted to change the world mm-hmm. and not as a career for money, mm-hmm. when I knew like this is what I need to be doing mm-hmm. and the money I'll figure out separately, mm. then it's there was no pressure like, am I going to succeed? Mm. Because it's not about succeeding. It wasn't about having to make millions. Right. It's just about, am I going to get to tell the stories that I want to tell? Mm-hmm. So it's not, am I going to make millions? It's like, can I raise enough money to make those films? Mm-hmm. And then I just go, yeah, of course I can. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I can raise $5,000 for a short film in a month, mm-hmm. then at, if I work at it for the next decade, mm-hmm. then of course I'll be able to raise at least enough to make my Korean trilogy features. Yeah. You know? So it's just that kind of um, shifting of the long-term goal. Yeah. The long-term goal is to tell the stories I want to tell. Mm-hmm. Not to win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Not to make millions. Mm-hmm. Not to be the most famous director. Mm-hmm. Not to be James Cameron. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. I mean, as far as like if my film is shown in 100 countries. Sure. And that's the goal eventually. Mm-hmm. But just to be able to tell the stories yeah. is... You know, mm-hmm. so then it's just there's not as much pressure mm-hmm. and you don't feel that like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fail or not. No, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And it's fun. It's so fun. When mm-hmm. I'm on set, I can go for 12 hours and it's like nothing. I mean, wow. I don't have to eat. Uh-huh. Or, and you know what I mean? I just go that that's my food and everyone mm-hmm. else is tired. And I'm like, well, what's next? And you're like, we got all the shots. <laughs> so it feeds my soul. Yeah. And I I mean, it. I've heard other people say that before where they say, I can't believe I get paid to do this. I can't believe I get paid to do this. Mm -hmm. That's what it's like. Yeah. And I really hope uh, everyone can find that. That's Mm -hmm. what I wish for everyone. Mm -hmm. Because I think the world would be a much different place if we were all encouraged to find that Mm -hmm. and then to live it. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is why I send my kids to Waldorf. So there's my Waldorf plug. Okay. (laughs) Because that's like the goal of a Waldorf school is to really treat every child as an individual and help Mm. them find what their soul is meant to be doing Mm. versus giving them grades and testing them and telling them what they're supposed to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wish I had gone to Waldorf school. Yeah. It's okay. My kids do. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. Um, And I, I, I I agree. I've drunk that Kool-Aid. I'm down with it. But one thing I I am curious about to get your perspective on, um, you're familiar with Mike Rowe, um, Dirty Jobs? Oh, I've seen Dirty Jobs. Yeah. Okay. Um, He has a thing. uh, He's he's. He has a, a new uh, new uh, TV show on CNN similar to Dirty Jobs called Someone's Got to Do It. And just in his own social media platform, he's a strong proponent for getting people into the, the trades and skilled labor and stuff. And he's not such a fan. He doesn't directly just totally say follow your heart is crap, um, but basically more of just taking pride in a job well done. 
Definitely. um, Instead, like um, the way I interpret that is just finding happiness where you are um, and your soul is meant to just, I don't know, be here and make good things happen and make the world a better place, I guess. So how does, how do you, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? I'm I think there's two parts to that. So I think that there's, I think happiness Mm. is a very tricky word, especially Mm. in America. Sure. I think that we have confused, especially in our media, Mm -hmm. happiness with, with fun and excitement. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Whereas I think of happiness Mm -hmm. as a more of a peaceful contentment Mm -hmm. where you're not necessarily with the adrenaline rushing and the giant smile. Ah, you know, that's roller coaster fun. Mm. Okay. Yeah. To me, that's fun. That's excitement. Roller coaster fun. But happiness is Mm. more of a constant, um, more subtle peacefulness, contentment, Mm -hmm. so that you can have appreciation for those moments, for the work, Mm -hmm. for doing the dishes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're getting into a little bit of the Technakan, what is his name, and the meditation of, you know, Uh like when you do the dishes, if you think, I'm so grateful to have warm water to do these dishes. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Versus, he was coming from being a Buddhist monk where they Mm -hmm. had to wash all these dishes in the freezing cold and oh, there's no running water and, okay. you know so to say i'm so grateful to have these this warm water for my dishes i'm so grateful to have dishes to wash i'm so grateful to have a house to be in i'm so right. grateful to have food mm-hmm. to be on my plate that i have to clean it mm-hmm. so there's that mm-hmm. and then there's um i think what we are meant to be doing in that not necessarily not necessarily a higher purpose, though I think that is possible because I have had my birth chart read and oh. it was just very oddly accurate to my mm-hmm. husband also. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, wow, really predetermined from birth? <laughs> it said for me, movies and for him, surfing. Oh, wow. And that's our lives. Uh-huh. So I was like, wow. <laughs> but, so, but even if it's not that predetermined like at birth, right. whatever your personality is, mm. wherever the environment you were raised in, whatever that is that shapes you to who you are and what brings you joy mm. or where you thrive. Mm. I think that is a separate, like, that's a calling that mm-hmm. people can have. Sure. And do, I mean, and some people it's obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, if, you know, if you're Beethoven or you're Mozart, it's mm-hmm. obvious from a young age what mm-hmm. your calling is. Right. Um, or if you're Jake Shimabukuro even, or if you're a master woodworker that has, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think those are two separate things. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I think, but I think there's a lot of people who, if they were, able to learn say woodworking for mm-hmm. example um because we just we need a lot more carpenters yeah in our society we mm-hmm. need more plumbers exactly we need more handymen mm-hmm. we need more you know people who can actually fix a clock people um, who aren't ashamed to get the garbage exactly yeah. exactly um so i think you can find joy in all that mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. but that is a societal shift mm. Where that's part of what we were stri- I mean, what we were marching for yesterday. Okay. You know, the laborers march. Okay. Which is about treating everyone as a human being. Hmm. Um, you know, paying a living wage. Right. For a job for a days of a day of hard work. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna work hard mm-hmm. all day. You should get a living wage. Right. <laughs> that can support your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you look at some societies, mm-hmm. which 
aren't as diverse as us, which I think is the biggest challenge in America. Because mm. if you go to Switzerland and you go to some other countries where it's easier for them, I think, to feel like a community because they are so similar. Because mm. they are so, they look alike and mm -hmm. they talk alike and they have the same culture. So it's easier to feel like, yes, I want to take care of you, brother, mm. you know, and sister, because we're all in it together. Whereas right. America, it's easier to just go, mm, those people over there. Right. So... If you look at those societies, though, where you they do pay a living wage and where there's free access to health care ah. and affordable housing, mm. I think you do see higher happiness levels right. in service level jobs. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen the documentary Happy? No. I highly, highly recommend the documentary Happy to everyone. Okay. It's on Netflix, I believe. Huh. It is so well done. It travels across continents, hmm. really analyzing what makes people happy and unhappy. Hmm. And it's just such a beautiful and intelligent reminder mm -hmm. of how to live life. And you look at who is the happiest, and mm. it's the people who have the strong relationships. Mm. It's the people who feel like they're making a difference and that they're working hard in their community and that they're a part of the community. Mm -hmm. And the other part out of that documentary anyway, what they're arguing is another part of happiness is that you have to find flow. Hmm. And what that is is yes. what you're talking about mm -hmm. with the dirty jobs. So one of the guys that they interview and they show is this African-American cook mm -hmm. in this burger place and okay. he flips burgers yeah. for a living uh -huh. that's all he does mm -hmm. and i know a lot of people would go wow that sounds so boring uh -huh. but he is like the best burger flipper you've ever seen mm -hmm. he makes it into an art mm -hmm. he goes so fast he's mm -hmm. flipping he's singing he's doing his thing and he's so into it and it's i mean and he can't no one can flip burgers as fast as him mm -hmm. and you know and it, and he's in his flow yeah and it's the same as a musician being in their flow mm -hmm. or i think as a director if you're on set and you're in your flow and mm -hmm. you're just going so that's a big part of it, too, is finding something where you get to experience flow mm. in your life. Okay. Where it's not your thinking. It's just going. It's your body taking over. Mm -hmm. So they say a lot of, you know, it can be a sport. It can be music. It can be your job. Mm -hmm. It can be like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, I love that movie, though. You got to watch it. I will watch that. Yeah. <laughs> watch it with your wife. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like Japan. Uh -huh. um, they go to a commune in like Switzerland or somewhere where mm. there's 40 families living. They all have their own houses, mm -hmm. but they only cook dinner once a month. What? What? Yeah. Because they all come together to the cafeteria and oh. one family cooks. So you cook a giant lasagna for everybody. Huh. So it's maybe like 100 people uh -huh. and they have a giant kitchen. Right. So you and your family prepare a giant meal mm -hmm. once a month. Huh. And then the other nights, you just go and eat. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. Wow. I mean, they watch each other's kids. The uh -huh. kids say, oh, we feel so safe because if we fall down, any of the parents are there and they pick them up. Mm -hmm. I know. I want to I'll make my own one day. Yeah. I'm going to have my own like Skywalker Ranch. There you go. Slash commune. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because, yeah, it seems like instead of being one big American society, uh, we are a bunch of little communities walled up against each other. In yes. certain places and uncomfortably so, unfortunately. Yes. I mean, even here in Hawaii, where <laughs> oh, yeah. I think is a is a great place <laughs> mm -hmm. for I mean, it's one of the few places where you do get this melting pot. Yeah. And where you you can experience being in a room where really nobody cares about the ethnicity if and you don't see it. Mm. It's not that we don't have racism, mm -hmm. obviously. It's not that we don't have um class problems mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely yeah but there is a very interesting thing going on mm -hmm. here right especially with 
Asians and the different kinds of Asians and the different kinds of Pacific Islanders. Mm -hmm. And you have an influx now, I think, of Middle Eastern people and mm. people from India. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's very interesting <laughs> to see what's happening here. Yeah. Even within that, though, having said that, there's so much um, hierarchy mm. within the ethnicities here. Yeah. Still. Huh. I don't know how to get, I don't know how we're going to get rid of that, mm. but hopefully <laughs> yeah. with legislation and art. <laughs> yes. There you go. Yeah. Cause my background is I'm from North Carolina. Oh wow. East coast. Uh, grew up in a largely, um, you know, white majority. And then moving here, uh, my early thirties, uh, was very different. Um, you know, I was in, in the military and especially living on base, it was still, pretty easy to remain yeah you're in your bubble a, yeah exactly um but then meeting jen a local uh she grew up here she grew up in uh, pearl city oh, okay um you know that just really started opening my eyes to more of what's going on and now attending classes at uh last semester I had to take a couple hawaiian studies courses just really tearing the the curtain open and it's like oh my god and um you know, now being with Jen and going to more places that she's introduced me to, I've never been the minority so much. And it some you know, for, for early on, I, I noticed like, oh, wow, I'm pretty much the only white dude here. Yeah. And it wasn't like scary or unnerving. No, I pointed out to my husband all the time. We go to Gyotaku <laughs> yeah. and I go, look, you're the only white guy here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh, hey, OK, interesting. Uh, and the first time I felt that was uh, at a layover in Japan a couple of years mm. ago. And um some of us uh, from the organization I was with just were able to go out and spend a few hours uh, seeing the sights and stuff. And it was, I guess, all Japanese, I don't know, or just Asians everywhere. And we were the only white people that we saw. So for, you got stared at? Um, I don't know about that. Uh, it was, you felt it. Huh? I kind of felt it, yeah. And it wasn't until we got deep into the city and just was like, oh, hey, there's, I guess we're the only gaijin or something. <laughs> um, so it was, it's been very interesting. And, um, I feel like I've been coming into this spirit of um, being woke, I guess, um, <laughs> yeah. very recently. Because um, I also come from a traditional uh, Protestant background. And not like totally hardline, you know, the, the extreme that we often see portrayed in the mainstream, but kind of in that way. Like used to believe in, you know, homosexuality being a sin right, and right. that kind of stuff. And, um, very common. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, it helps that my wife's best friend is is a married gay man well there you go and um that's what it takes that's what mm -hmm. studies show yeah that if you just uh, meet and mm -hmm. interact with and mm -hmm. get to know one gay person mm -hmm. then most of the time any sort of homophobia mm -hmm. or preconceived notions will mm -hmm. just go away well you know he wasn't the first first um oh LGBTQ no i know I met, but, but when you you know what i mean yeah. when you really get to know somebody mm -hmm. that happened with um a roommate of mine he mm. he's um He's American, but his parents, um, oh man, I'm blanking right now. Myanmar, mm. from Myanmar. Okay. Or it's has Formerly Burma. known as Burma. Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, raised very traditionally, had never really interacted with any gay people, not for mm. an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And then my best friend was a black gay man and I moved him into the apartment because <laughs> we were going to school together. And uh -huh. I was like, oh, he's moving in. Yeah. And so Ollie, my former roommate, um, was like, oh, and he didn't tell me like, oh, I've never like, hang around a gay person. That kind of freaks me out. But uh -huh. he just he dealt with it. 
And after two years, he told me later, like, that was a life-changing experience. Hmm. I had all these preconceived notions mm-hmm. to the point where he felt almost afraid. Mm-hmm. And just getting to know Don hmm. was like, oh, well, hello. Yeah. <laughs> just a human. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, totally. And, you know, looking back, I, I realized um, that some of the, the best, like, when I was working at a Holiday and Call Center, one of my cubemates was a gay guy. And I just... Absolutely loved working with him, talking with him. Um, that's when I was getting back into comic books, and he was a total comic book nerd. And um, then I worked at Barnes and Noble and a cafe, and uh, the the shift lead was a gay guy, and we just had a ball singing show tunes like at closing and stuff. And um, so, <laughs> but there was still this cognitive dissonance in my head. I was like, oh, these poor misguided souls. You know, if only they knew the. the Isn't true that path. fascinating? Yeah. though, that you could do that and still have that story in your mind. Right, but then finally, oh. Oh, no, no, just, uh, yeah, we're fine. Okay. Um, I, I just, um, finally you know, getting here and then, um, with the mission I was on would go to different parts of the world and just seeing like really opening up my worldview experience Just finally, I was like, you know what? Screw this. <laughs> and it was, it was a series of events, um, that just, you know, these, these, um, traditions I was trying to, to maintain, um, cause I was, you know, are we all it's still like in a, a constant quest for identity and once Absolutely. we find it to maintain it and there's things that make us question it um it's always easy to go back to stuff that is foundational and uh, so i did that every every now and then and um still every now and then um kind of go back to certain things but uh, that's a whole different discussion um um yeah well, i think just, that's that's awesome though i i think that you, and you sharing your story with hmm. people is important hmm. Because I think we don't hear a lot of that. We don't mm. hear a lot of people talking about how they used to think one thing and mm-hmm. then they have changed how mm. they think. Usually it's just, this is what I believe yeah. and I'm really adamant about it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I've come from for a long time now, mm-hmm. which really infuriates a lot of my friends who um, have strong beliefs, Yeah, <laughs> is that I really am so open to mm. whatever makes the most sense to me at any given time. <laughs> yeah. And I'm very fluid like that. And mm-hmm. it really drives some people crazy. Mm-hmm. Because I'd be like, well, I used to believe this, but now I believe this. But I'm sort of open to this, and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and when we die, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll mm-hmm. find out. Yeah. And I think it's probably like this, but who mm-hmm. knows? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. Like, who can be certain of anything? Because, I mean, as exactly. soon as, like, just in the law and in, in, you know, the realm of science, as soon as one thing is proven, then something else comes along that totally blows it out of the water. <laughs> exactly. Like, just recently, and it does only because I'm taking anthropology class, like, uh, you know, humans weren't supposed to reach North America until, oh, I know. you know, and then they just found out it's been a couple hundred thousand years. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. That has yet to be proven, but it's definitely making yeah, scientists. But why not? I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, why not? we're discovering so many things. I mean, I yeah. just, just the idea of, of space and infinity, I think is hmm. too much for most people to mm-hmm. comprehend. Like they mm-hmm. want to envision an end mm-hmm. to the universe and sure. to space and it's like it doesn't have to have an end mm-hmm. infinity can literally be infinity as in there was never a beginning and there is never an end mm-hmm. i think that's a very difficult concept for human beings because we have a beginning and an end that we yes. can tangibly see and feel mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. ourselves and we're so egocentric as mm-hmm. human beings mm-hmm. that we really just wrap everything around this like oh well what's the human version of it Uh (laughs) like animals Mm -hmm. or even things you know Mm -hmm. so material objects we humanize them Mm -hmm. so because we're so just in our ego so same thing with space we're like no there has to be beginning the big bang something like Mm -hmm. there has to be be I don't even believe that like Mm -hmm. no there doesn't have to be a beginning it could just have always existed and will always exist Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can even understand that myself, but yeah. there it is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I, I think that's more fun mm-hmm. to live like that. Yeah. 
I come from a very religious family. I was oh, raised okay. very Christian. Hmm. I used to teach Sunday school. Oh, wow. Um, my family is still very Christian. I okay. think they all are still pray for me <laughs> regularly so uh-huh. that I'm not going to burn in hell. Um, what was your but, turning point? Oh, hmm. Like when and what? I mean, I think slowly but surely over the years, mm. I just, I, I never really, I was never... Um, a big believer of like the Bible word for word. Mm. And I, my parents are pretty liberal. So I shouldn't say they're not conservative Christians, okay. but they are very strong in their faith Christians. Okay. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're more progressive and they're mm. like, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. the, or my grandma is more conservative, but she also comes from a very, I think healthy standpoint, which is it says homosexuality is a sin, but it also says it's not my place to judge. So mm. I'm going to love you as my brother mm-hmm. and leave that to God. There you go. Um, and not even, you know, so, Mm -hmm. so that's where I came from, more liberal, more, you know, progressive. Mm -hmm. And then I just would question from very young age, like Mm. probably eight years old. I was like, mom, Mm. really? Like, so people in Africa who have never even heard about Jesus, they're automatically going to hell because they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. Like that Mm. seems pretty harsh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my mom would be like, well, you know, they you could interpret it that if, as long as you haven't denied Jesus <laughs> and that there's some ways that, you know, if you're if, if there's ways where God presents himself to you that might not necessarily be the way we know. And then you can mm. accept like, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I went, all right, it's already kind of fishy. <laughs> like there's, it's open to interpretation. I already knew that. Mm-hmm. And then probably in college learning more. I had a fiance who was also very like the Bible is the Bible. And we would argue over creation versus evolution. Evolution. Mm. And then he went to Pepperdine and started taking, I think, some religion classes and would come home and go, did you know they found some books of the Bible way later and they might not even be real? <laughs> and I went, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you can't take that word for word. Right. So, I mean, I think slowly and then um, mm. him and I, not that mar- that relationship not working out and me going, oh, I'm too young to get married mm. and dating people who weren't religious. Right, 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 right. And having roommates like mm-hmm. that and having conversations. So mm-hmm. around college, mm. that age. Okay. And I went, oh, yeah. I'm more open-minded sure. than locked into one thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just kind of came around to that. I see religion as <laughs> as a easy way mm. out, honestly. Mm. I see it easier. It's okay. easier to believe in religion mm. because then you have something solid that you look forward to after death. Mm-hmm. Versus just going, no, I don't know. Yeah. That's scary mm-hmm. to some people. Yeah, yeah. To me, it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, cause <laughs> I believe that there's something else going on after you die. I believe mm-hmm. that there's spirits flying around. I have a picture of something on my phone, actually, mm. that last week I just like happened to be sent to a psychic accidentally. Ooh. And yeah, I didn't even mean to. I was trying to buy lanterns for my set. Uh-huh. And I went and I said, can I buy lanterns? He said, no, this is the best spiritual reader on the island. And I went, what? <laughs> how much does it cost? And she was like, it's just donation. I was like, how do I get an appointment? She's like, you just take a number. Uh-huh. I was like, great, I'll do it. And they're like, well, you have to ask one question. And mm. I was like thinking, what am I going to ask? Mm. And I have a picture from three years ago mm-hmm. of this light energy behind my, my son mm. with, in a photo. Uh-huh. Like, and it has a shadow and it has a reflection Ooh. in the mirror. Weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's really creepy. So. Well, it's not because it's like a light energy Mm. and I don't get any negative feelings. Mm -hmm. And my mom has a friend of a friend who's psychic and Mm -hmm. looked at the picture and said, oh, that's your son-in-law's grandpa. And he says that he's taking care of a little girl, too. Is there a little girl, too? And she went, yes, there's a little girl, too. (laughs) And so I thought, oh, great, that's your grandpa. Mm -hmm. And so I asked this guy, this psychic guy, well, this is a spiritual reader, Mm -hmm. this Chinese guy. And I said, "Okay, who is this in my house? Mm -hmm. I showed him the picture. 
and he like took my address down and where do I live? And then he went and like banged on this metal thing and dropped some incense and turned around and goes, I don't know if it's a male or female, but it's one of your ancestors looking out for the family and the kids. Oh, wow. And I went, yes, that's what I thought. Ah, <laughs> and that's cool. So those kind of things make me believe, great, there's stuff going on. Yeah. I'll, I'll, it's a whole nother adventure later. Uh-huh. Huh. We'll see. Yeah. Right on. Um, uh, similarly, I started questioning senior year of high school. Like, mm. I got my first, like, real spiritual experience uh, when I was 15. Uh, first time I felt, like, the presence of God oh. and uh, forgiveness, mostly, because I've had, like, a ton of guilt that has been hauling around for the longest time. Religion and guilt are... Right? <laughs> two peas in a pod. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, that got me, like, you know, jazzed on Jesus, uh, really, for the first time. And, like, whenever I get set on something, it's just total oh how are we doing on time um i think i gotta wrap up in just like 10 minutes oh shoot okay maybe 15 minutes okay um i'll just um long story short uh, started questioning um towards end of senior year because started getting you know more i got into it you know the books and stuff the more it seemed to be like a machine and an industry and um just i felt like you know there's this isn't quite what i signed up for um, but still, you know, kind of, I didn't know any better. So I was leaning towards legalism and whatnot. Then I went off to college, got outside of my bubble for the first time, started doing stuff that I wanted to do, but then started feeling guilty. And, um, <laughs> after graduation and going back home, I just, you know, was like, Oh my God, I did all this stuff. And, um, um, you know, living the college lifestyle basically, yeah. except for getting drunk, never got drunk until after I wow. graduated. Yeah. That's impressive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um and, um, yeah, then just over the years, going back and forth and wanting to be in relationships. And finally, just after one last failed relationship, I went into therapy at my, uh, ironically, my dad's behest, because um, he had been in it before and highly recommended Great. it for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of therapy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have experience? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think everyone well, My mom's can... a counselor, so oh, right. I've been in and out of therapy since I was 11. <laughs> nice. Um <laughs> But yeah, did, I was in that for three years and um, just so happened that she was a Christian therapist. No, she was a Christian who was a therapist. And so we were able to come up from that uh, frame of reference. Nice. And that was the that kind of took me back to my high school experience. Not quite as like, oh, but um, still just realizing that, you know, it's all about grace. And uh, God is he's this, if nothing else, this force uh, in the universe that is trying to reconcile creation back to himself. Um, for whatever reason, you know, the, the Bible's reference is, is sin and the right. devil and, and all this stuff. Uh, my views on that are, are, are changing <laughs> recently as well. Um, but then from there, you know, trying out new things with therapy and uh, moving to Ohio uh, from North Carolina in pursuit of a romance um, wow. that had been in the works um, by the time it ended three years. And when it did end, it was like awful. And I was like, oh, my God, what do I do now? And then a close family friend uh, recommended the military. And so I did the military and I uh, was still, you know, trying to figure things out, going off on my own and uh, boot camp, especially like falling back on the Bible and Jesus and stuff. But uh, going to chapel, it wasn't, oh, this isn't like, you know, strong enough beliefs or whatever. They're all, mm, I don't know, to think of it at the time, but uh, just uh, not willing to say Jesus and, you know, he saves oh. and people need to be accountable for their sins. So that was coming back up again. Um, and then getting out and uh, going to a school in Maryland, got involved in a church there, a uh, really big mega church uh, run by the guy. Did you ever hear about the book uh, Kiss Dating Goodbye? 
I don't think so. Okay. It was really big in Christian circles in the late 90s. This guy was Josh Harris. Um, okay. You know, it was all about revolutionizing dating and why we should go back to courtship and stuff because premarital sex just ruins relationships and all this stuff. And know the guilt of premarital re- of sex relation. Ah, the guilt of premarital saying, sex yeah. ruins relationships. That doesn't ruin relationships. Uh, can actually be pretty darn good yeah. under the right circumstances, um, which I didn't finally accept until a few years ago, right around the time I met Jen. Because um, actually, I did um, marry a, a sailor, a fellow oh. sailor um, who I knew from training school. And uh, under the auspices, like, oh, we're both Christians and yeah, this will all work out. And we're just so excited. We're in our mid to late 30s and we'll just give it a go. We know what we want. And here we go. And uh, it failed, <laughs> uh, especially because it was a long distance. We spent a week together oh, and gosh. then uh, she had to go back to her duty That's station hard. and I had to stay here. And yeah, it was super hard. And I was trying to do the right thing and um, try to impose certain things on her which in retrospect was robbing her of her agency and her autonomy and ultimately trust of her and uh that kind of turned her off <laughs> and it just disintegrated from there and you know lesson learned okay I was gonna say that's wonderful though yeah. that you have mm-hmm. that you've learned that yeah, yeah. And that you could see it mm-hmm and be conscious of it because yeah. that's such a huge step mm. for men. <laughs> and, and once it, yeah, <laughs> uh, once it finally did fail, I was like, you know, all this stuff sucks. And I just, what I really, I've been doing over the years is like periodically taking everything I believe and whatever and just throwing it into this fire, so to speak, just tossing it out. Whatever sticks around is truth. And, you know, the existence of God, um, the universe, whatever, benevolent force, um has always stuck with me me too and, actually uh, yeah mm, um and not 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 dismissing jesus or anything either um but just i don't know i mean Again, personally as someone who grew up in the christian faith and who mm, did have one of those spiritual moments when i was like 13 and mm, accepted jesus and mm-hmm. in mexico at youth camp uh, yeah. <laughs> um mine was orlando yeah. <laughs> so like you know um i <sighs> What was I going to say? There's there's a lot that I could say about this. <laughs> yeah, there's so um, much. I really, like, I love Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really love Jesus. Yeah. Even though I don't consider myself a Christian, mm. I don't accept Jesus as my personal savior. I don't believe in that part. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in the whole, like, oh, heaven and hell. Oh. Um, but Jesus as a person and as a um, messenger. Mm-hmm. Jesus as a messenger, mm-hmm. just like Buddha, just like Muhammad, mm-hmm. just like so many people mm-hmm. as messengers mm-hmm. of this important message that I think is coming from God, the universe, Mother Earth, Allah, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. you want to, you know, that's just semantics mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. But they're messengers mm-hmm. of this because it's all the same look at the religions yeah it's all the same pretty much love each other uh-huh. love your brother yeah don't kill each other uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know all that good stuff the basic basic is there treat mm-hmm. you know treat everyone mm-hmm. how you want to be treated that kind of thing mm-hmm. um so i think there's so much to learn from these religions mm-hmm. as far as their lessons and their ethics and their dogma yeah. and all that good stuff and mm-hmm. i think it just gets dangerous mm-hmm. And to me, what I doesn't, the the part that doesn't, you know, get me is um, that you have to be this one way Mm. that like with Christianity, you have to accept Jesus as your savior. That's it. Mm -hmm. 
That's the line. Yeah. So that's tricky to me. Like, really? No. Mm-hmm. How do you know? It's just, you know, that was just their interpretation at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, would Jesus, for Jesus say, I, it's the one God and you have to pay attention to this one God and all this stuff. You have to look at the climate. You have to look mm-hmm. at the culture, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's trying to get a message across and shift it away from spending money and giving it to the priests and the temples. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's so much, there's a lot of politics going on. Right, exactly. At the time. And people are like, don't politicize Jesus. Well, he was freaking political. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> he was a very important political figure of mm-hmm. his time. Hello, right. challenging mm-hmm. the authority. Totally, absolutely. He's an activist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you look at him like that, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, Muhammad and Buddha and everybody, um, you, to me, you can really embrace it. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, that's the kind of stories that I want to tell as a filmmaker yeah. is to say. Uh, but I think I'm fascinated with your story because mm. of the back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I would like to see that mm. in film mm. because I think that many people could relate to that mm. and that you could probably tell that story really, really well because mm. that was you and your life, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Because that's. That's that's hard. Mm. It's hard for people to see that they're going through it even mm-hmm. and then, you know, accept, oh, I'm changing or I don't, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few, few quick things in no particular order. Um, there's this uh, Franciscan monk, Richard Rohr, um, who I found out through the You Made It Weird podcast with Pete Holmes. And that's actually been huge in my spiritual development as well. Um, uh, shoot. OK. So, yeah, he's he's one of his things is like, you know, the, the basic Bible teaching is um, about, you know, like sin consequence is like for for young people for impulse control Mm. but then you grow beyond that and start delving into the deeper truths he's coming from a mystical point of view so more experiential meditative uh whatnot and he's a super awesome dude like not not fundamental anything like that like be like oh you're catholic he's like yeah but you know buddha's cool too um so that kind of thing um so there's that and then when i was in therapy uh one of the key things was uh, my therapist was saying that um you know you are enough as you are um you shouldn't punish yourself for your sins you know indiscretions whatever um you shouldn't hate yourself um because you are enough as you are and god loves you as you are and then going further back i remember when i was dealing with guilt and stuff in high school um my parental figures no not just necessarily my biological parents but people who served as parental roles in my life uh would say that you know it's not just about sin and you know forgiving other people but you've got to forgive yourself and um when when you commit a sin against someone else or just against god or whatever so i'm like if it's about forgiving myself then why what what's the whole big deal with god's forgiveness um, but then, you know, I, I guess, you know, you could argue that it's God's forgiveness that enables you to forgive yourself and then li- live a life free of guilt, even though you continue to screw up. Right. You know, and sin and commit into transgressions and, and all this jazz. And you're still not going to be a perfect person. For the longest time, I thought there's got to be a point where I arrive, where I'm a good person, where I stop being this terrible uh, drag in, in society. And I finally become a productive member of society, where in reality, I've been that way all along. The old, you know, adage like the power was within yourself the whole time, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And so I've, I've kind of boiled it down to this principle where it's it doesn't matter necessarily which vehicle it comes through, be it the, the salvation message of Jesus or the message of Buddha or whatever. The point is, you're OK. And it's so hard to convince yourself that you are OK. Oh, yeah, it is. And we need that external stimulus. We need that story, you know, yeah. that narrative yeah. of a sacrificial lamb, of 
um, enlightenment or, or whatever, wherever your, your, your cultural framework comes from, um, just to, to enable you to accept that truth. That's what I think it comes down to. Yes. Very wise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah. Okay. Um, shoot. Uh, any other last questions? Oh, or? golly, there's a lot we didn't cover, oh. but that's okay. Well, we can do a part two. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Um, is there any anything else you I want to know what's on your, you know, agenda next as a filmmaker <sighs> and storyteller and writer? <laughs> oh, geez, Louise. <laughs> um, uh, too much. <laughs> um, any, what's your passion? Like, what would be your number one thing that you most, when you wake up, you think, oh, I hope I get time to work on this one thing. Is there one thing that's <sighs> kind of driving you? I don't know. I mean, right now I'm just kind of worried about the money, <laughs> supporting yeah. the family. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, sometimes that takes precedence. So. Um, I mean, just uh, working on on the business, uh, marketing that, making sure I'm I'm good enough to to convince people to give mm-hmm. me money to do their stuff, mm-hmm. which has happened so far. But what is your favorite stuff to do? Enough. Like, if you could snap your fingers and have a client right here, what would it be? Oh, jeez. Commercial, I guess. short film, feature films, what? Um, at the moment, I feel most equipped and Weddings. able to do. Oh, Lord, uh, <laughs> haven't done any. Don't want to <laughs> no. really. I mean, I would, but um, um, editing. I, I I love it too. <laughs> I I really dig that. Um, I haven't had too many super great experiences directing, um, but that's only because and most of the time I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have the story fully fleshed out. Um, what I love about the classes I'm taking right now is. Um, learning about how to have that clear vision before you even begin. Uh, and uh, so vital in my directing <laughs> class, he, our professors, do you know, um, any of the professors at UH? Some of them, uh, Joel Moffat. Yeah. I know Joel. Um, he's just hammering to uh, hammering into us, you know, the story statement, the story statement, you got to know the story statement. Otherwise, if the director doesn't have a vision, then how are you going to direct? And the actors will come at you with ideas and you don't have anything to go against them. So you're like, okay, sure. Why not? And then Uh, it just goes all over the place. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you have an Aloha movie by Cameron Crowe. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. Where the uh, actor was literally directing the scenes toward the end. Is that what happened? Oh, I heard the inside scoop on that. Yowza. And toward the end, um, Uh Bradley Cooper started going, all right, we're going to come in here with a wide shot and then we'll do a close up. Ah! Because he was so tired of the bickering. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> Between the director and the DP. Yes. Mm. There's some inside Hollywood drama for you. Oh, boy. <laughs> That'll be part two and a half. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, when directing, when it has gone well for me, I've loved it. And there have been a few experiences like that. But then, like, when you get the shot, you're like, oh, my God, got the shot. Right. But then when you come into the editing portion and you're like, you know, the, the cuts just happen and something you might not have seen or taking. Oh, that's my favorite. It's magic. Taking something out of sequence, but it works. And it's like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then you get some music and it just fits in the timing perfect. And you're yeah. like, oh, I couldn't have planned that. I know, right? Like. That's when it's like meant to be. Yeah. And I really believe that. And I let try to let things roll and let mm. them go because. Mm-hmm. Like with the baby law, there was so much happened that was just meant to be that mm. I couldn't have planned. People mm-hmm. coming in to help. Yeah. Literally people walking up to my producer, hand strangers handing her props that mm. I have requested. Nice. Literally that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wow. That's awesome. So that's the universe <laughs> so, saying that you're doing what you need is. to do. No, it totally is. Yeah. Have I you mean, read The War of Art? No. You should read that by uh, Stephen Pressfield. The, the War, War of, of Art. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, it doesn't sound like you have a whole, like a... a 
too big a challenge of getting stuff done, but it's still really great no, to read. And I always need to be motivated. Oh, it's so yeah. freaking motivating. Like I said, society will drag you down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to answer your question, I've got um, the Golem's Curse, which I started last year, which was, I think, where we met the first time was the pitch day the at pitch, HFC yeah. in February last year. So I shot that in March. And then my baby was born and everything else. And I've hardly had time to work on it. It was on hold. Um, A behind the scenes thing for Diamond uh, with Potluck with Smooch. Uh, Hopefully I'll get him on here. Um, I want to do a year retrospective on the first year of life of Stormy. That'll be nice. Um, And I think that's That's enough for a new dad right there. (laughs) But I've had this also this like sci-fi fantasy epic in my head since I was in eighth grade. Oh, wow. And try you have to do that but it's, one day. It's only been in the last year or two where I'm finally able to come up with the, or finally be able to discover, to discover the motivations of the protagonist and the antagonist. Because awesome. for so long, I've just had this like cool premise like, oh, wow, that'd be great. But then when I try to write, I'm like, right. I don't know what to write because I don't know what the story is. I don't know why they're doing anything in this cool premise. But now I do. And so it's starting to slowly awesome. come together. Well, anytime you need a reader, oh, send okay. it over. Right on. Anytime I you need give an you the feminist perspective. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like that's a huge <laughs> thing that's been changing in my mind is um, I also want I also love book series, so I want to do a series of books. And the first story I started working on female protagonist. Yeah, the female yes. the protagonist is is a female. Good. And it's um, just not enough. You look at the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> and then like I don't know if it's just my Hawaiian studies classes that influenced it, but I, I envision her as like um, a, a, a descendant of island royalty. Awesome. Basically. Awesome. And. Then just so. make sure you get a Hawaiian consultant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So all these ideas finally starting to execute. And that's kind of what this podcast is. Um, it's something I've wanted to do since I first started listening to podcasts. Because um, any t- anytime I, I discover something that I love and just really gets me going, I want to share that with other yep. people. And I love sharing stories with other people and giving other people opportunity to tell their stories. Awesome. So that's why I want to bring people on, get them to tell their stuff. Then we can talk and share. And all that well, chat. this was great. Thanks. Thank you yeah, so much for having fun. me. Abs- thank you for being willing we to. We definitely do a part two one day. Definitely. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Boom. Thank you so much for joining us today. Cutting It Close with Cliff Bailey is a Phazon Media production. Check us out at phazonmedia.com slash cutting. For Jaina, you can follow her on Facebook at Hoppa Film Studios and Instagram at Jaina Films. You can follow the pod on Instagram and Twitter at Cutting Close Pod and SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cutting it close. And YouTube, search for Cutting It Close with Cliff Bailey. Soon this will be available on iTunes, but not yet. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Editing by me. And, uh, yeah. All right. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Please, whatever platform you're listening to this on, like it if you liked it. If you want to keep up with it, subscribe. As soon as it's available on iTunes, I'll let you know. Otherwise, have a great rest of your time on Earth. And we'll see you next time.